Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Hello, hello. Hello. Do keep uh, your Bibles open in front of you uh, and let's pray as we come to God's Word. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. God, thank you that you speak to us. God, if ever we want to hear your voice, uh, we have this book that you've given to us that we might meet with you and hear from you. And God, as we now look ahead to the end of the story, God, would you fill our hearts and minds with hope and fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen. Amen. I was, uh, I was having a conversation uh, this week with David Nyong'o. Many of you will know he's one of our pastors here at Greyfriars and New Hope. And I was having a conversation with him about uh, preaching for the last time here uh, today. And he was saying that in Zambia, uh, people would tell uh, their church kind of family to make sure they made it to church for a pastor's last words. Because uh, last words are important. Uh, and this isn't the moment when I say kind of, and another thing, and this is what I've always wanted to say. Uh, I'm under no illusions that my last words are particularly important. Uh, but what we do come to this morning are the important last words of Scripture. It's been 66 books and thousands of years of history. And as we come to the end of all of that, these are the words that God chooses to end the Bible with, to land the story of Scripture with. And here's why I think these last words are important. Because these last words tell us where we're going. These last words tell us the destination of our journey. And it's important that we know the destination, isn't it? Because when we know where we're going, it changes how we go about getting there. And if you knew that you were on your way to a wedding, you'd make sure that you'd picked up the gift that you needed and and you'd put your best clothes on. If, for example, uh, you knew you were moving to the Lake District, uh, you'd make sure you packed waterproofs and thermal underwear, I've been told. Uh, Where you're going impacts how you get there. And so as we come to the end of this book, it begs the question, where are we going? What is the destination of this journey that we're on? What is the future that has been secured for us by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? And how might knowing all of that impact how we plan for the journey and how we live today? That's where we're going this morning. That's what we're going to think about together. But before we get there, there's just a little bit of Bible nerdery we need to do uh, so we understand where we're heading and we can situate ourselves. Because uh, these five verses that we just had read for us uh, have been very carefully put together by the author John uh, in what is called a chiasm. Uh, We've got an illustration here, riveting, I know, uh, of what uh, a chiasm is. Is. And this is important because authors of the Bible love to use 
this technique. You'll see it, or if you've got eyes for it, you'll see it time and time again. Because uh, in Hebrew thinking, and Hebrew literature, that's what we've got in front of us. Uh, the authors often emphasize their main point in a different way to how we might do it. You know, often we put the most important thing at the beginning or the end, we kind of crescendo to it or whatever it is. But often in Hebrew thinking, uh, the way that you emphasize a point is by putting it in the middle. And you kind of build a mirror around it. You reflect your points, leading people to the center. And so that's what we've got in this passage. You have something like point A, point B, your main point, point C, and then you come back out again. You make point B again and point A again. You f- reflect around your, your central point. I kind of like to think of this as a, as a literary burger, if you will. Uh, point A is your, your kind of your bun, it's the bread. Uh, point B is your, your tomato and your lettuce. Uh, but we all know the main reason that we're here. It is for the burger in the middle. And that's your main point. And that's exactly how Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5 has been structured. And so what we're going to do is we're going to work our way into the center of this chiasm. We're going to start outside at the bun and, and work our way into that meaty, meaty burger uh, and see what it is the author is trying to say to us. And we're going to start with point A, which we read in verses uh, 1, the beginning of verse 1 and in verse 5. And they say this. You should have it in front of you. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And in verse 5, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. You know, when we use that word new, there's a couple of different ways that we can use it and that we kind of probably use it often in in our day-to-day usage. The first kind of new uh, really just means another. It's when we're describing another thing. So if I were to tell you this morning that I was buying myself a a new car, uh, what I would really mean is that I was buying another car from the car that I currently have. Still a car, uh, but it's another one. And when we use new like this, what we often mean is different or or kind of less old. It's the same thing, uh, but it's another one. But there's a second way that we can use the word new. And that would be a bit more like if I said to you, uh, do you know what, I'm going out to buy myself a new form of transportation. Uh, And then I came and I presented to you the receipt for my new helicopter, Stipend in Carlisle is very generous. Um, but if, if, if I use new in that sort of way, we're getting a little bit closer to the idea. Because it's still the same sort of thing. It's still a method of transportation. It's still how I get to the office in the morning. But it's a different category of thinking about how I might do it. You know, I still get to work, but I don't have to worry about traffic anymore. Because it's a new kind of transportation. And when we read these verses about God making all things new, it's a little bit more like that second kind of new. Because when John, the author of this book, says that God is making everything new, he's not just saying he's making another version of the same thing. Now, John is telling us that he is making a new kind of world. And the newness he's describing is a a deep and total and unrestricted kind of newness. The theologian uh, Tom Wright says that the new creation that God is making is one in which newness itself will be renewed. 
It's a new in which uh, all of our categories of thinking uh, are changed. All of our expectations of how the world could and should be will be renewed and restored and redeemed and totally recreated. So we find ourselves in a new, new. A new, new in which only God's good and perfect plans and purposes will be possible. A new in which we won't have to worry about the traffic anymore. God is making, Revelation tells us, all things new. And the next step into the center of the chiasm unpacks this newness. And we see that in the second half of verse 1 and then again in verse 4. Where we're told about all of the things that we will leave behind. It says this, first, uh, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And let's just pause there for a moment before we jump to the verse 4. Because what, there's this weird bit, isn't there, about the sea. We get this sense that God has kind of an issue with beach holidays. But that's not what's going on. Uh, there's, there's something else going on here. You see, in Hebrew thought, uh, the sea was a place of chaos and danger. In fact, uh, earlier in the book of Revelation, in chapter 13, the sea is the place uh, that the beast, the enemy of God's people, this great monster, kind of emerges from. Hebrew thought the sea was this place of, of evil and, and chaos, a place of rebellion against God and his plans and purposes. And it's this idea, it's this place, it's this realm of chaos that we discover will be done away with in God's new new. Because the new creation will be a place without chaos and without any place for, for evil and enemies to hide and then emerge in the new new, there won't be anything that defies or resists or subverts God's goodness and kindness and abundant generosity to his people. And John unpacks that a bit more in verse 4. He tells us this. He's talking about God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. What a wonderful picture of God's new creation. It's been said it, it's the place where we will see the death of death. A place where death is no more, where our, our last and great enemy is defeated. And it's the destination of every follower of Jesus. Even if we don't know when, where, where every evil and every sorrow and every disappointment and every pain is done away with so that it can never come back. And where every painful consequence of our sin and the sins of others is, is redeemed and transformed so that the very brokenness of our world becomes the building blocks of God's good new order under the rule of Christ. Here's what Revelation promises us. Here's the destination to which we are headed. God is taking you and me to a place, to a to reality, to a new existence where we are totally beyond the reach of death and pain and tears. 
He's preparing us for a future in which God himself, the king on the throne of the universe, your creator and redeemer, the creator and redeemer of all things will draw close to us, gently catch us up in his arms and lovingly wipe away every tear and heal every hurt. I don't know about you, but I find this picture of where we're going deeply comforting. Uh, In fact, uh, it wasn't intentional, but uh, Revelation 21 holds a really special place in my heart. I'm thrilled to be able to preach on it uh, this morning um, because this has just been a really important thing for me in in my life and in my faith. In fact, I remember a number of years ago now, uh, the day that I found out that my gran died. uh, And I got a phone call from my dad. Uh, and, and he told me what had happened, and I put the phone down. And I remember I just, uh, I, obviously, I, I broke down in, in tears. I was devastated. I, I, was, I was obviously sad to find out. But I sort of just instinctively reached for the Bible and found myself turning to these verses. Revelation 21 tells us the future to which we're going. Because my grand loved Jesus. Uh, And so I know that this is what the Lord has in store for her and for me and for all of those who are in Christ, uh, but I have lost or or we have lost. This future, all that God promises we will leave behind, gives me hope and comforts me. And you know, I'm confident that a hundred percent of those of us in the room this morning, whether in the past or someday in the future, or I, I know for many of us right now, today, we will all experience deep and heart-wrenching pain. You know, if you're here this morning and you're follow, a follower of Jesus, you will know better than anyone that, that simply being a Christian is no vaccine against the pain and sorrow and suffering of this world. That is not the hope that Jesus offers us. Now, what he offers us is hope. What he offers us is knowledge of the destination to which we are headed. What he offers us is the promise that one day, one day is coming when death and crying and pain will be no more. And when even the memories of our worst days will be transformed so that they are for our good and for our delight. I couldn't preach here for the last time without quoting the Lord of the Rings. I mean, it's just barely relevant, but I have to do it. Uh, But it's a quote I've used loads of times because I love it. So I'm going to do this really briefly, but there's a bit at the end of the Lord of the Rings, but I know some of you have switched off. You've told me that you do when I do this, and I'm sorry, but we're going to power through. Uh, There's a bit at the end of of the books where one of the hobbits, Samwise Gamgee, has, has reached the end of his journey and that they've defeated the great evil of the world and he's, he's back in safety and he wakes up and he finds himself surrounded by friends, uh, many of whom he thought had died. And he can't quite believe the, the wonder of what is happening and, and so he asks this question, he says, is everything sad going to come untrue? And you know, I love that quote because the answer of the, the Christian is yes, Is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes, it is. 
Because the author John tells us that we're on this journey towards a place in which all things have been made new by God. And he tells us that what we're leaving behind is, is evil and pain and death itself. And then as he makes it to the heart of the passage, point C, the middle, he tells us the destination for the journey that we're on. And what we discover is that destination is it's not a place. It's not a state of being. It's not some abstracted and impersonal bliss. Now, where we are headed is to a person. Let's read verse 3. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The heart of this passage, the heart of this truth about the destination that God has in store for us is the truth that you and I were created for relationship. Relationship with one another, yes, but but first and foremost, relationship with the God who made you and redeems you. And loves you without reservation or limit. And so God brings in the new, new. And it's his promise to us of his presence. And this has been the the hope and the promise since the very beginning of this book. Right at the start on page three when human sin brought death and destruction into the world and and it changed everything so that the glory of God was no longer just a joy but also tragically a problem for us so we couldn't approach the God that we had sinned against ever since then God has been writing a story that we trace through the pages of this book and the pages of our lives and it's the story of his tireless effort to bring us back to him and so from generation to generation God's heart to restore and renew his relationship with his people to heal them and save them save them so they could stand close to him again in perfect peace that has been his heart and what he has been working for And in different times and in different ways through the story, God has moved that endeavor forward. His presence filled the temple and was at the center of his people. And then he fully dwelt in the incarnate Jesus Christ. And through his life, death, and resurrection, he made it possible a future in which all things are made new. Although even then, in the incarnation of Jesus, his glory was veiled. And then amazingly at Pentecost, he, he sends his spirit. He comes to live within us in each and every believer. What a, what a beautiful gift. But in some sense, in all of these steps, each of them are limited. They're mediated and, and carefully withheld because the old order of things had not yet passed away. And God's broken people could not yet fully stand to be in his presence but that is not the end of the story and that is not where we are headed because revelation tells us that the end of our journey is that place of unrestricted 
total and complete encounter with God. It's the promise of his presence. It's the place where we enjoy the fullness of God, all of his goodness and love and delight, all of his healing power, the place where all of that is available to all things and all people, to you and to me without limit or reservation, without fear and without risk. We will be his people and he will be with us fully, unrestricted, and be our God. And so if this is where we are going, I want to suggest two things briefly that that might mean for us today. The first is that we are invited to hold on to hope. Maybe today you're here and and you're really aware of the old order of things. Maybe you are right in the middle of tears and pain and death. All those things that characterize the world as we know it, but will one day pass away. And if that's you this morning, then I think God through the book of Revelation would say to you, this is not the end of your story. Because in the end, everything will really be all right. It's not just a platitude, it's actually true. In the end, all will be all right. And if it's not yet all right, then it's not yet the end. And so hold on. Hold on to the hope of where you know you are headed. But more than simply hope for tomorrow, more than pie in the sky when you die, I believe that God wants to give us hope today. Because you and I, the the church, you know, there's this kind of weird, if you're a kind of Doctor Who fan from several years ago, there's this kind of weird, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey thing that goes on with us as the people of God, because you and I are in some sense people out of time. We, the church of Jesus Christ on the world today, are an outpost of a future kingdom that is coming, but has not yet fully come. We are a glimpse and a foretaste today of the future that we have been promised tomorrow. So that means as we we worship and as we pray and as we gather together as this kingdom coming community by the power of God's spirit at work in us, God promises to give us glimpses and experiences, and and the gift of the Spirit so that we might know tomorrow's hope today. We are a people pulled out of time and gifted to the world to show them when we are filled with God's Spirit, the world that is coming. And so as I come to an end, I'd just love to pray that for us. I'd love to pray that we might know the hope of God. Know it for the future, but know it today and carry it today for one another and the people that we might meet in the days to come. A promise that God's kingdom is coming, has come and is still to come. So we might go forward in hope. So can I invite you, if you're able to stand, and I'd just love to pray. God might do that in us this morning. So let's pray.
And so, Father God, we want to ask once again that you would come and fill this place and fill us. Come, Holy Spirit, and do within us what only you can do. The ancient prayer of the church that Jesus taught us asks us to pray that your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray that now by your spirit in us would your kingdom come. That we might be an appetizer, a taste of the hope that you have in store in the future. And God, for where we are walking through the pain of today, for so many of us, God, I pray that you would just be gracious and just bring some of that future healing to us today. And God, would you give us hope? Would you give us faith? Would you give us trust to know where we are going? And allow that to shape how we live today. So come, Spirit of God. Fill us, transform us, renew us to your glory, for the good of your church, for the good of this world. Come, Holy Spirit. before we head into worship, I just want to give some of you permission to receive hope. Because you know that hope that is beyond us, that's even beyond the confines of the world as we know it, it is never something that we'll be able to tie down and fully understand. You know, we catch glimpses of it, we see a vision of the destination. But when God's kingdom breaks in now, it's always, it's always beyond us because it's a work of God. And so can I just give you permission? If you just sense the edges of, of hope, God's healing power of his spirit with you and, and you're almost resistant because you haven't kind of dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. Uh, you won't. You know, you'll get there. God is good and he wants us to use our minds, but you won't get there. Uh, not until he comes again. Uh, and so can I just release you to trust, to receive hope as God's good gift because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. as we receive hope we're going to turn and worship in response so do allow God to minister to you and as you're ready let's give praise together